Good morning and welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. I'm Nathan and joining me today is Craig. Hello. And Susie. Hello. And Chrissy. And why am I always last? Um, I don't know. It's just he the order. He always does it. And that's I do it in that if, you're not here, if you're not here, I'm always last. Oh. Yeah, so nothing Same personal. the girls are always last. Yeah, order of importance, pretty much, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Reverse order of importance, I think don't worry, you get plenty of mention later. Speaking of later, what is the agenda? Okay, so uh, we haven't got any email feedback from anyone this week. So, Philip, write us a letter. We're, we're trying <laughs> not to take that personally or anything. And nothing on the notice board either. We have got some news, though. So, the first news item is the power balance filing for bankruptcy. Well, they're not really becoming bankrupt. No, no, that's the... Um, because that's not the way it works. headline. Power Balance, the company behind the silicon bracelets favoured by athletes, such as Tumty Tumty Tum, has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. company has suffered a net loss of more than $9 million in the 10 months ending October after earning an $11.7 million profit last year, according to that's documents. That's a lot of money, isn't it? That's a lot I guess of that's money. But then they've lost... like two cents to make, and then they charge... Uh, and they've lost $9 million, so at the end of the day, they haven't really made all that much. Uh, especially as they are being sued... For inappropriate marketing claims. That's <laughs> hilarious. A class action suit in the federal court in LA back in January. Um, they've been sued for $57 million. The company has reached a settlement for uh, $57.4 million dollars intended to compensate all those who were misled into buying the product. Which is everybody. <laughs> no, well, I think technically they're referring to the people that have actually complained and joined the class action suit. The people that don't realise they've been misled still get nothing. And it gets worse, we've been told the company will be declaring bankruptcy and blah, blah, blah. But I thought, I thought the idea of a class action suit is that that a whole bunch of people got together and complained, but then the company would, under a settlement agree anybody, to pay any, out anybody who came forward and was in that particular category. They don't actually have to have registered formally to join the suit to begin with. That's my understanding. Maybe no, I wrong. don't know. I've just always assumed it was the other way around. I don't think... Uh, maybe someone needs to write in and tell us. The, now, the article I'm looking at here says the company will be declaring bankruptcy and plans to fold up shop altogether, inverted commas. But, no, I have read since then that they're not actually folding up shop. Per se, they have filed for bankruptcy, Craig. You know. Yeah. So Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the states actually gives them protection. It's a protection from creditors, so that when they owe lots of money, they can say, "Oh, I'm going into bankruptcy," and, and no that, one can collect that, any money, and they can't go and get the money off them. But they're still they, operating. They're still operating, so they can trade themselves, trade their, trade their way out of it. It's like being in receivership here in New Zealand, so where you have statutory managers come in and actually try and make but the then company they sort of work. Like sell off the assets and stuff. Well, so this means they have to sell some more to pay off the people who... Well, they need to try and trade their way out of the... Yeah, but if they all they sell is... Is power balance. products, yeah, <laughs> yeah. then, yeah. So they're going to continue selling them. So well, they to do. pay off the people yeah. that they've yeah. misled into buying the products. That sounds but I guess the point is they're not allowed to market them as in a misleading way. Yeah, um, they presumably a, um, not market them at all. It's just a very nice hear, piece of jewellery. They've now got a new product, which is a mouth guard. Oh really? A hologramic. 
Hologramic. Holographic. <laughs> Holographic. Yes. My ha. So. Yes. Seriously, was that? Yes. Oh, I have oh, seen this. No. That's, that's <laughs> hilarious. So, yeah, they're still going to be selling them. They're not allowed to... Uh, Claim the health benefits. Benefits, indeed. Um, right, so it sounds like a victory, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? Pyric victory? Pyric victory? Mm. More than a mouth guard! What? My god, you're right. More than a mouth guard. Hang on. Introducing our new technology performance mouth gear. New technology? Well, this this article here I'm reading has actually got quite a good intro. It says, They say that fools and their money are soon parted, and no one knows that better than the sports junk hucksters at Power Balance. Despite filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in federal court on Friday, the company has high hopes for their new product, something called performance mouth gear. <laughs> I love this. It says, It's scientifically calculated to create spacing and resilience for an individual's bite to float into its most natural and comfortable position, resulting in harmony between the teeth, the temporomandibular joint, and muscles in the face. It's really funny, though. If you look at it, it, it I guess they're just reusing the power balances that <laughs> they are not allowed to sell. Well, that because it looks like the bracelet. It does. Really? <laughs> it does. It looks like the bracelet just sort of encased in something. Look, there it is. They've cut the bracelet in half and that goes around your teeth, but yeah. it doesn't form a full circle because yeah. otherwise then you wouldn't be able to swallow. Power Balance partnered with one of the leading medical device manufacturers and sought the assistance of one of the country's leading institutions to conduct a series of double-blind clinical studies to ensure the product... Did it? Hang on, hang on. Out of our compassion... No, sorry. Out of passion to deliver products of the highest quality... They've partnered with these people to do a double-blind clinical trial. Ooh. Does it say how much they are? Um, buy now. I advise you not to buy. <laughs> Sorry, I just saw the big, big less is forty thousand dollars, but that's a dental warranty. Warranty. It's forty dollars, New Zealand dollars. Um, no, sorry, not New Zealand dollars, American dollars. I guess. And what's the claim? What, what would you wear it for? Well, unlike the balance, balance bracelet, this is actually potentially providing some benefit in that you're protecting your teeth. It is, in fact, actually a mouth guard, isn't it? It actually has some benefit. Okay. It's kind of unclear what it's actually for. Because it just says it provides ultimate comfort, retention, and unrestricted airflow. What, what does it mean? They, is this for like all our rugby players and stuff? And it has a bite pad TM system, whatever that is. Oh, this is funny. Okay, moving on, shall we? Yeah. And if we do find anything about the um, double-blind trial, we'll let you know. Because no doubt they'll publish it and sing the results from the rooftops when they come out. Maybe we could order them and we could all record the podcast wearing them next time. <laughs> <laughs> Take our photo. See if we sound any different. Okay, so the next news article. Oh, do we want to do this one? Doesn't sound very interesting. Susie wants to tell us what it's like to masturbate... <laughs> In an MRI scanner. Ooh, go Susie. No, I don't want to hear that, do they? <laughs> no, you no. guys want to hear it? Oh, okay, go on then. I'm just thinking of the listeners. I mean, that's Are you not assuming the thing. that Susie's actually tried this? <laughs> yes. So I guess I'll. Yes, I'll you've start tried it. <laughs> I'll start by saying I personally have not masturbated in an MRI scanner. But given that we've talked about it quite a lot over the last few episodes, I was really interested to find a blog post by someone who has. So, um, Kate Suckle is a, um, which is a really funny name, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes me giggle. Um, she is an author, um, 
is uh, was doing some research for her book, her upcoming book, Dirty Minds, How Our Brains Influence Love, Sex and Relationships. Um, and as part of this research, she volunteered um, in for the legendary orgasm researcher, um, Barry, oh, Commissarek? Barry. She volunteered for Barry to um, uh, go and, and uh, masturbate in one of his MRI scanners. And um, so it's quite possible we've actually talked about her orgasm before. Um, anyway, the, so what's really funny is that, um, so she's talking about how she had to prepare for it. Because uh, when you're in one of these machines, you have to be really still. Um, because if you move around, then that obviously will uh, affect the resolution of the, you know, the image that, that they get. Masturbation usually involves movement. It does, A yeah. A little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, the way most people <laughs> do it, I would say. Um, and so what they have to do is they have to wear this um, breathable plastic mesh helmet that's screwed to the, ca the scanner bed to keep when their When you say helmet, still. you mean face mask. Well, it's it's a... It goes over the, goes it goes over over the, the face head. and yeah. bolts well, it yeah, down. Bol yeah, 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 and bolted down. Yeah, so face mask. Um, I can imagine that with some people, that could be a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's the sort of people they need to be putting in their MRI machines. Speak for yourself. Um, anyway, so um, she was slightly concerned and wanted to get this right, and so she, um, she practiced. And what she did was she uh, took the small bell that was on her cat's collar um, and stuck it to her forehead with duct tape. And then practiced, well, then masturbated, you know, at home. As you do. Uh, as you do. Um, trying to not make any noise. And then once she sort of, you know, had got it down to where she trying was. Trying to not ring the bell. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. And so she'd, uh, she said that once she'd, it, she said that, you know, she practiced like this. She said it was, wasn't easy um, to work herself to an orgasm, but... Um, it wasn't as difficult as she'd imagined that it was going to be. And so, yeah, I just thought that was really funny. She's blogged about it. And there's a great picture of her with her uh, with the mask that they make them wear. So we'll put this up as a link because it's very funny. Fantastic. Mm, interesting. I have no intention of trying this out. And can I just say that the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical podcast does not endorse the attaching of bells to cats' collars. <laughs> I think it's a horrible, horrible thing to do to a cat. <laughs> Cats want to be able to catch things. If you put a little bell on them, they can't. Yes, which is precisely horrid. Or maybe the cats could practice just like the woman. Not, <laughs> yes. not making a noise. Not ringing the bell when they pounce. So you're saying it's a, it's a training aid to make them tougher. <laughs> That's what it is. To make them stealth cats. Indeed. <laughs> well done. Okay. Nothing else really we need to say about that, is there? <laughs> no. Bonus points for introducing pussies into an article. Of <laughs> <laughs> oh, very funny, guys. <laughs> well done. We're laughing. <sighs> we have fun here. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of functional MRIs and brain scans, Craig, tell us about brain scan overload. Yeah, so... Um, the fMRI technique has been around for 20 years now. November 1991. 20 years sounds like a long time, but then you say 1991. It's like, well, that wasn't that long ago, was no, it? No, you're right. You're just showing yeah. your age. That's because I'm, I'm old. Uh. Oh, my God. Some of the people we hang out with at Skeptics in the Pub weren't born 
when this was invented. Yeah, uh, is that true? Yes, quite possibly. They Some are allowed them. to be. I'm just thinking oh, of the in the age pub. of... Oh, in the Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but no, you're right. They, yeah. they would have been... Sorry, carry on. Right. Anyway, so it's been around for 20 years. Um, so what this article is, is saying is that um, the use of fMRI sort of gives a false um, boost to uh, to research. So people, when people read about research that includes fMRI scans, they become less sceptical, purely because... Probably because of a, it's an advanced technology that um, makes the research sound very plausible. It's a form, I think, of argument from authority. By sticking fMRI in front of whatever it was they were presenting to the students, the students tended not to be as sceptical. fMRI had a, a level of, of credence. Or I mean, it, it's an interesting article in that it points out that um, what people think that's going on in fMRI is that it's a it's a perfect representation of what's going on in the brain when a, when of course it's actually blood flow in the brain that's being measured because that's really the only thing that we can measure and then they use statistical techniques to figure out w what's actually happening according to to blood flow so it's not it's by no means a perfect measure of of, of what's going on and there are areas of the brain that are involved in multiple um, multiple different states and emotions and so on and the, the article gives the example of um, an op-ed piece in a, in a paper talking about how people fall in love have actually fallen in love with their iPhones um, and, the, and the, their reasoning behind literally this literally falling, falling in love with their iPhones and the reasoning behind this is because a particular area of the brain was uh, lights up when people visualise an iPhone, but they point out in the article that that particular area of the brain can also light up when people are disgusted, <laughs> or when there are hand motions um, uh, taking place. So, <laughs> so um, people have interpreted this, obviously, you put a spin on it to say well, people are in love with their iPhones. So, we should be sceptical about fMRI research. Especially if it tells us that people are in love with devices. Well, did you see that television program about those that woman that was in love with the Eiffel Tower and that guy that was in love with the fence? That's got to be a disorder of some sort, though, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I would yeah. think. I have to say, though, I'm quite fond of my, uh, my Galaxy S2. <laughs> I don't know if I go quite so far as to say love, but okay. Excuse me while I kiss my iPhone. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, UK schools to get free Bibles, Susie. Yeah, so to mark the 400th anniversary of the um, translation of the King James Bible, the um, Department for Education in the UK is printing a new version that's going to have a short forward by the Education Secretary and then a copy of it's going to be sent to every school in um, in the UK. And it's kind of, I mean, you know, European, you know, the European sort of monetary thing is all collapsing around our ears, you know, the UK is in a pretty dire, I mean, it's not, it's not collapsing like Greece and Italy is. So, you know, the finances are not good and, and it seems a strange thing to do to spend money on, um, on this endeavour, and it's not Bible, clear yes. who's paying. Forgive my for it. ignorance, but yeah. what's so special about the King James Bible? Uh, I don't it know. is 
400 years ago? <coughs> it, uh, ministers are said to believe that the text is a historically and culturally important document. Yeah, but what's the... Because it's 400 years old. Pretty much. Anyway. So like, that's kind of, that's the question everybody's asking, is why, why do the Bible and not do, as they've said here, Origin of Species, you know, which is a book that you're less likely to find in a school library than, say, Bibles. Okay, so this one was the third official translation of the Bible into English. According to the Times Ledger, it's the greatest of all biblical translations. If you look at the related articles. Anyway, um, it's unclear who's going to pay for it. The Ministry of Education is asking for uh, donors. I'm sure there'll be plenty flooding in to, to help that. Um, but, yeah, so the humanists are saying, well, you know, there's Bibles in every school already, you know, send them on the origin of species instead. Um, it's kind of interesting. I, I had a sort of, I'm outraged about this at Stephen, and Stephen was like, well, you know, but surely the best thing is for every child to read the Bible, and then, yeah. <laughs> and then they, will, they won't believe it. So, yeah. But they don't, though, do they? I mean, kids aren't going to go to the library and browse through the shelves and say, oh, a Bible, I'm going to take that and read it. No. So all they're doing is they're putting another one on the shelves with the four or five they've already got. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a waste of money, and as um, I say, they could probably put a better book. Oh, that's the wrong word. Um, uh, another book. A better book. Oh, yeah, no, why not a better book? book. Much, be much better choices that they could Presumably be. the Department of Education is actually allowed to do this in mm, the UK, whereas in the US that would be probably illegal due to the constitutional separation of the church and state. Did you hear about um, Barack Obama being chastised for not... Because he didn't mention God, God in his Thanksgiving, in Thanksgiving speech. speech. Yes, yeah. I saw that. Well, by Fox News. <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> <laughs> if, he, if he cares what Fox News thinks of him, then he's really in trouble. So, King James Bibles for schools. New version. And the only thing that makes it new is they haven't done anything to it. No, they're just add putting the an... Uh, they're adding a forward. Forward by the, in it. It's, anyway, yes, by the Education Secretary. Events and people in this book are fictitious. Any resemblance to living people is <laughs> completely... <laughs> what's that official disclaimer they put in fiction books? Yeah, okay, so, moving on. Susie wants to tell us about the Australians. Parents losing tax breaks if they don't vaccinate their children. Susie. Well, the Australians are having a terrible time. I mean, they have this um, vaccination, uh, you know... AVN. They, they have, the yeah, AVN, the AVN, yeah. who are, you know, they're this crazy Meryl Dory person. Um, and are they actually still officially running? I thought they were being shut down at one point, or they didn't have any money and they were well, going to have to... No, they're still running, they're still and running. Um, their, their, web, their website, they, they were told they had to put disclaimers on their website, and they refused to do it. But, you know, for instance, they give some stats here about um, whooping cough. So, you know, there's a perfectly decent vaccine for whooping cough that, that lots of Australians... Are, are rejecting and the cases have gone from n just under 5,000 in 2007 to nearly 35,000 last year I mean that's just that's astonishing and it's it's killing really young babies you know that's just it's, it's sort of one of the amazing things I guess about vaccine scares is that you know it's not every country has the same vaccine scare and for some reason whooping cough is, is Australia's one but anyway, so in a bid to do something about this, they, um, they're taking a really hard line. and um, A hard but fair line. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 think, it's, I think it's justified, although I, I'm not sure it will be as successful as they hope. So um, in 
Australia, there are these sort of tax breaks for having or uh, for having a family, for having children, and um, what they're saying is it goes to about 90% of families that have children. So I mean, that's pretty much everyone. And what they're doing is that they're kind of changing the way it works, um, and they're going to um, if you're if you haven't. So if your child reaches the age of one and isn't fully vaccinated for the things that they should get by the age of one, then you will not get that year's tax break. And they're going to do the same when they're two, and then they're going to do the same when they're five. Um, now, I think that this is going to work for those people who rely on that income, uh, rely on that tax break. So it's going to work probably for the lower socioeconomic groups. But for the you know equivalent of the Ponsonby mothers, the, you know who, who don't rely on this, the, the educated, liberal, you know, anti-vaxxers, it's not going to work at all, so... Um, is there any correlation or, or anything that says that it is more the lower economic people that get these diseases? Oh, no, I think it's... Is this all over? I think it's all over. Um, but I, I think you'll probably end up finding those communities are more protected if they, if they start taking, you know, if, they're up, if their vaccination rates increase... Then those, then there, then there won't be new babies in those areas dying. It'll continue to be then new babies in the richer mm. areas. But there's there's always a balancing effect though that the lower socioeconomic communities generally tend to have lower rates of vaccination because people can't afford to take the time off work to get their children to the doctor to get vaccinated and all that sort of stuff. You see the same thing here in New Zealand. But that seven hundred and twenty-six dollars will help. Oh, indeed, indeed. Or but people, it is but if people are going to assume that they're going to get that paid anyway, then they budget for it and money disappears. And anyway, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this works because you know this is sort of. This is Does it say when it's ground. starting? It's, has it already started? Um, they just say it is going to happen from next July. Don't they have a scheme in the US where you can't get into school unless you're vaccinated? Surely that's the next step. No, I don't think they... I'm fairly certain that in the US... I mean, here you have to... You get a little piece of paper that says what vaccines you've had, but, you know, the schools can't stop you from going. No, I don't no, think but I think in, in the US, US can they? they can. I think I've heard something too, but it's not all over, Craig, is it? I would like to see something like that. I think it'd be interesting to see um, how you could implement that in a fair way. I mean, obviously not everyone can be vaccinated... No, well, no, if you're, no, not, if you're not, blah, 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 then yeah. that's acceptable. But it's people that make a conscious choice for no good reason. Uh, maybe their kids aren't allowed to come to school with everybody else. I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. It sounds a little bit draconian, but... Nanny state, the yeah, people say... Yeah, yeah. This is... We think it's danger, danger, health. You know. Oh, yeah, no, won't somebody oh, think of the children? Have we all seen Contagion? Who? What? No, no I haven't. Is that the new one? Yes, no, go I've got to go and see a movie. Gwyneth Paltrow. Is it Gwyneth Paltrow in it? Yes. Yep. She dies, dies early in day. Oh, thank you. I'm not going to go see <laughs> well, you're not going to see it anyway, so who cares? Kate Winslet, she's all right. Well, I'm not saying she's not all right. You just don't go, just to, don't go, see go to the movies because I've got no one to go with. Oh. Oh. Can we put a shout out for a movie girl with Nathan? Putting feelers out, Nathan, for a date. A movie date. Anyway, your ideal date would be somebody who listens to it the would, podcast. I suppose, yes, yes, quite right. Um, okay, so we've done the tax threat. I can just imagine the um, anti-vaxxers kicking up a stink about that. Though. Oh, oh yes, it'll be on Facebook. Are. Yeah, they are kicking up a huge stink. 
shouldn't be hard to find if you want to go and read up about that. Yeah, the the AVN website is actually quite flash, really, isn't it? Is mm. it? Hmm. It looks quite a credible website, unfortunately. Okay, so next news item sounds quite exciting. The first paper submitted from space. Susie? Um, I just saw this. Uh, it says Europhysics Letters Journal publishes the first paper submitted from, from space. Um, so I can kind of remember when the online submission of papers was, you know, just sort of starting and uh, you, you had to still submit, you know, maybe a disc with something or whatever. Um, but now essentially everything's done online and this is really good because some people have been able to submit a paper from the International Space Station. <laughs> I just thought it was really cool. So nice. they've done a whole lot of experiments. Um, Apparently on the speed of sound For those curious, the paper itself reports on the measurements of the speed of sound within complex plasmas. And now we all feel dumb, says the article. Yeah. That sounds perfectly understandable to me. Is there anything about that that is confusing? I mean, speed of sound, complex plasmas? Although someone might have to tell me what a complex plasma is. Is it a particular subset of... They're the TVs with more buttons on them. Ah, (laughs) right. (laughs) Thank you, now Greg. I know. Now I know. So there you go. I mean, I kind of I I presume that's what they were doing in space. They were doing experiments. So well, it would be one of the major yeah, things, wouldn't would it? You'd think. So. Yeah. And this is the first one that's actually been submitted from space. From space. Next the rest stop of them the moon. F- we'll get a paper submitted from the moon or from Mars. Yes. Yeah. Mars, yes. please. Mars, I think, makes more sense. Well, the um, the Curiosity rover got blasted off last night. Mm. I saw an article about that. I didn't actually read it. Something about it was going to do something exciting when it landed or... Little jig. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, no, the, the way it was landing. So in, in the past, in landing on Mars, they used the, bou- the, the air package yeah, the airbags. and the airbags to sort of bounce down to the, the ground. But this this... This particular rover is too heavy and too fragile to land like that, so essentially it's going to have a rocket-powered thing that's going to sort of lower it down to the surface um, on on cables. Right. Oh, okay. Quite cool. Interesting. Hopefully it all goes well and doesn't fail. Because it costs $2.4 billion or something. Well, I don't know. Is that to build it and to send it there and to monitor it? $2 billion's not that much. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of money to me. Well, I'll sure. never see it in my life. not to waste that money on a crashed mission. Yes, okay, yes. Point taken. Um, Chrissy, yes. you want to tell us how to drive illness from your body? Well, here from I was our bodies. this morning reading the paper, the, sun, the Herald on Sunday. Came across a whole page, full page, how ancient Chinese medicine can help you to drive illness from your body. That looks like an ad. Is it an ad? It is. Good. I'm just just looking here and I don't see the words paid advertisement anywhere. Yeah, but you don't have to have paid advertisement to have an ad in the paper. But if you want, it looks like an article. It doesn't look like an article. It doesn't look like an article. But look at that one on there. We'll talk about that one. Yes, well, here we go. So I've been trying to. well, actually, if you pay your forty nine ninety five plus, what was it, Craig? Nine ninety five postage and handling. Within seven days, you'll get a book, which will cure you, drive illnesses from your body. But what I like is you get two free bonus books if you send the coupon back within seven days. And my favorite. I think we should send it in eight days and see whether you still get it. Ah, my favorite is rub your stomach away. 
book number one. Book number two is Flush Fat Right Out of Your Arteries. Well, they both sound good, but... And they're talking about recovering without medication. You can get your heart. I've just been trying it. I'm just sitting here now, putting my arms out in front, staring at my fingertips, <clears throat> and my heart feels energised already. Actually, so did mine. What were you sending my way? I know. Look, oh. see, I'm powerful. <laughs> this sounds, this sounds like an ad that should be complained about. Yes, it does. And, and I wonder what, what the exact um, criteria is for figuring out whether we can actually complain about it or not. It seems to be making some fairly extravagant medical claims. Um, All my problems I have gone. My whole body has changed. Bet they don't have evidence to back it up. The very first line is, the Chinese do not believe that surgery or medicine is the answer to serious illness. Well, that just seems factually incorrect to me. Well, we know it's bullshit, but can we complain about it? You'd have to go through and just check the wording. The, but um, have a look at the guarantee. The exercise generates a flow of energy which enters through the fingers of the right hand, passes through the chest and heart, leaves via the left arm, hand and fingers. It is the steady flow of this energy that strengthens the heart muscle and blood vessels. Sorry, strengthens the heart muscles and blood vessels. Was <laughs> that in capitals? It's, it's yelling. Right. <laughs> They're yelling it. Um, soon you feel a tingling sensation. You know your heart is becoming stronger. And here are some of the benefits. And bloody, bloody, blah. Many illnesses can be eased or cured by this exercise. So um, who's going to take that one on and volunteer? Does to it say can in? or does it say may? It says can. Because isn't can a... Yeah, no, I'm just well, trying to figure out. Well, can or may, yeah. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference between may and can, because can means are able to be. May means it might or might not. How you can use natural water to quickly heal cuts and infections? Dr. Chang also explains how you can do without your glasses by simply massaging the region around your eyes for a few minutes every day, how you can keep your lungs strong and your sinuses healthy just by simulating certain points on your nose. Right, oh, so Let me do it. we need okay. to do something about Google that. Who's in charge of that? Chrissy and I will you're do gonna it, yeah, it. You guys absolutely. can work together? Yeah, yeah. Read the yeah. guarantee. The guarantee. Century Mail prides itself on providing quality merchandise and high standards of customer service. If you feel our service has not met your expectations or if you're unsatisfied with your purchase, please call our friendly customer service department immediately. That's not really a guarantee, no. They don't say what they're going to do. They don't say what they'll do. They'll just listen to you. Or what they're promising will happen. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Are you allowed to call something a guarantee by law if it doesn't have a guarantee in it? Interesting. It is, isn't it? So, our advice is not to purchase this product. But then if you, if you look online, he also sells herbals and things as well. So, Dr. Stephen Chan. Um, okay, so we're going to complain about that and we'll let you know how we get on. And Chrissy and Susie are going to tell us about the evangelical churches that are curing HIV. Yes, well, again, here I was watching, well, not watching, but listening to um, television last night, and I heard about the Synagogue Church of All Nations curing AIDS. So I finished what I was doing, and I had to rewind and watched it, and here was this woman screaming and yelling and getting this HIV out of this woman who had a pixeted face, so you couldn't see her. She was screaming and throwing herself around the room. Because she was possessed by demons. I think I've read this as an article. Yeah, well, it was only on TV last evening. Yeah, and they're saying that, you know, they can cure AIDS, but that people have been not taking the medication for one year, and this guy's face, he wasn't showing it. Um, the anti-homosexuals, um, you know, um, yes. um, and this guy was, and he thinks now that he's given his partner 
the AIDS virus. Oh. So and some people have died, haven't they? Six yeah. people, I think. Six yeah. people in yeah. England it's, have, have died. And I've been told that they're cured, but this person's saying, but I'm not, I don't feel... But, but you're cured. They're yeah. telling you, you are cured. And if you've got diarrhea and you're vomiting, it means the virus is leaving your body. <laughs> All pretty standard. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be like that. Yeah. It's a registered UK charity, and the charity commission is looking into it. And they do have a thing about homosexuals, and are they curing homosexuals, or are they just... Right. I've obviously, yeah, inverted commas. I like what the Department of Health says. Our advice is clear that faith and prayer are not a substitute for any form of treatment, especially for HIV. But I love the, the church's response. So this is a, um, a, uh, is a Sky News or something in the UK have done this, you know, have put... They sent, yeah, they sent people into the churches saying they had HIV. Anyway, so they asked for the, res- the church's response... <laughs> and it's great. Uh, in a statement, it said, We are not the healer. God is the healer. Never a sickness God cannot heal. Never a disease God cannot cure. Never a burden God cannot bear. Never a problem God cannot solve. Um, to his power, nothing is impossible. We have not done anything to bring about healing, deliverance, of, or prosperity. If someone is healed, it is God who heals. If somebody is sick, it's God who heals. They don't say that, though. Wait, wait, listen. That is why, if anybody comes in the name of God, we pray for them. The outcome of the prayer will determine if they come genuinely or not. <laughs> ah, the outcome. The no-trude Scotsman. Yes. Fallacy. Yep. The healing version thereof. One of the pastors, Rachel, told Sky's reporter, who was a genuine HIV sufferer, they had a 100% success rate. Even though six people have died. Even though six people have died. It was God's will. We have many in, people in that contract that all are healed. death is a cure for HIV now. Didn't you know that? Well, they, haven't, well they, don't, they don't have <laughs> HIV anymore, do they? Does that work? When they die, does your, does your HIV virus die as well? Yes. Yeah, good. Okay. Okay, so the next one. Nicolas Cage is a vampire. Did you know that? I found this I've, really, I'm shocked. really exciting. I am shocked. Oh, <laughs> okay, tell us about this. So... Man claims a 140-year-old photo proves Nicolas Cage is a vampire. So there's a guy on eBay who's asking for um, one million dollars, apparently, for a photo of a man believed to have lived in Tennessee around the time of the American Civil War, who looks like Nicholas Nicolas Cage. Cage. <laughs> is Nicholas Cage? Well, obviously. So this is what he's... he claims. The 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 antiques dealer, apparently, according to this article. Um, Believes the photo is of Nicolas Cage himself and proves the actor is a member of the Walking Undead. I love the assumption that because someone's been alive for 140 years, he must automatically be a vampire. No, no, no. no. Well, no. Or has he got other evidence? Sorry, am I missing something? Well, so personally, I believe it's. This is not me. This is him. Personally, I believe it's him, and that he is some sort of Walking Undead vampire who quickens, reinvents himself once every 75 years or so. <laughs> Yeah, and and the best thing to do if you were a vampire would be to become a famous actor. Yeah. So that everyone knows who you are. And act in the light. He reckons very soon Nicolas Cage, in inverted commas, the actor, will die. Yeah. But in reality, the undead vampire of Nicolas Cage will rejuvenate himself 
and will appear in some other part of the world young again and ready to start over. And still looking like Nicolas Cage. <laughs> wow, you look like Nicolas Cage. Um, yeah, no, not really. <laughs> wow, okay. I mean, why could he not just be immortal? A Highlander, what are they called, the Highlanders? Do they have a designation? What movie are you talking about? The Highlander! Highlander. Oh my god, you... Have you not seen that? Yes. I'm just trying He's not to show my age. age. <laughs> He's only it young as Craig. was back in the 80s. The he last wasn't... one wasn't, the last one was in the 90s. He wasn't born in 91 as Craig. The first one I think was about <laughs> 1984 or 85. Or so something. was the first Terminator movie, and you've seen that. Only on DVD. <laughs> wow. That is awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, we've talked about Nicolas Cage. Apparently Nicolas Cage is a vampire. There you go. Is Nicolas Cage denying it? <laughs> I'm not sure he even knows. <laughs> I'm not sure he reads the Metro. It is a, um, a free paper you get on the London Underground. Wow, that's awesome. Inspired by News of the World, no doubt. Okay, so... It'll be interesting to see how many bids he's had on eBay. Actually, um... I don't know how relevant it is. I was flicking through a book, the, the library that someone gave to me because they thought I'd be interested. It was about the Christchurch Theatre. Um, was it the Royal in Christchurch? And I just opened a page at random and right over the top corner of the page is a photo of a guy I know. And the photo is from, you know, 1870-something-something. Something. I thought, fuck, that's Radar. What's he doing on, the, on this page? And, and it's dead ringer for this guy. He denies it, of course, but um, it's possible <gasps> that he is them? also a vampire. I'll ask him if he knows Nicolas Cage. Maybe he can get us an autograph or an interview. Oh, and we could ask. So how him. many degrees of separation is that then? If your well, mate's a be, vampire and it would Nicolas be three Cage is a vampire. If he knows Nicolas Cage, and so I'm, it would only be two, wouldn't it? Me and him, and then him and her. That's three people. Yeah, but that's two degrees. That's how that works. Yeah. That was all a bit overhyped anyway, wasn't it? Just people dropping envelopes and saying, can you see if you can get this to Bob? And then they gave it to someone who they thought might know someone who might know someone, and they added them up afterwards. Okay, so we didn't, we don't have anything for Woo Zealand this week because... This month? Because everything's been about teacups or something and... What? And elections and things. Oh, God, yeah, no, screw the elections. No, mostly who, who because... Who teapot? Tea bag. Well, it was just a cup of tea. And oh, that was thing. A oh, conversation the, over a cup of tea, and there was a tape was made inadvertently, supposedly by a freelance cameraman. But I did like what some of them said. You know, if that had been um, going, sorry, going back to the U.S. president, but Barack Obama, his um, security detail would have noted that and quickly taken it off the table. Anyway, um, the main reason we want to skip ahead is because Susie. Please rant about the Ponsonby News oh, for us. Oh, I'd love to. I've got a few things I'd like to rant about this month, if that's okay. Um, I'm pleased to say that my letter to the editor has been printed again. Woo-hoo! This is where Told you. I, we um, get a column. This is, this is where I'm... Uh, unfortunately, I haven't, pr- I haven't sent them anything this month. Oh, but, no. Um, yeah. No, you've got to keep up the momentum, yeah, otherwise... Yeah, sorry. Um, Maybe next month. Um, this is where I explained to the estate agent, Deborah Kelland, that her um, gall stones weren't gall stones, they were balls of soap. So I just sort of pointed that paper in the Lancet or wherever it was. Did you, um, did you explain it? Yeah, yeah, I explained exactly how it happened here. Yep. Yep, that when you add these things like oil and stuff to your body, then the enzymes work on it and what comes out on the other end is soap. Anyway, um, 
I think I have to be a little bit careful because I believe my <laughs> letters are possibly getting a little bit sarky. So, but they but they published it. Um, and of course, so. Deborah Callan responded to you which haven't tried she it? didn't. Um, she didn't address any of the things, but just to say that she's passionate about natural health and um, uh, that doctors are ruled by drug companies that she's astonished how challenged people are by some of the practice she's undertaken just because they're unconventional. Unconventional? Dangerous. I like that one. Um, <laughs> and she just says, you get used to people saying things, uh, saying things that things are dangerous when really nothing's more dangerous than drugs, by which I think she means pharmaceutical drugs. Um, and anyway, just because some modalities can't compete with the cost of research doesn't mean they're not right. So she just does her weaselly. I'm not going to address any of the things. And what's really sad is I, you know, I, I contacted her last month because um, I was really keen on testing out her claim that the um, Miracle Minerals supplement uh, kills only bad bacteria, not good bacteria. And she hasn't replied. So I've gone to the trouble of finding out the ingredients. I might actually have to go and buy some myself too. Um, and uh, I'm going to make some and we're going to do it. We're going to do those experiments. And then we're going to publish, publish the results. Yeah, possibly awesome. in the Ponsonby News. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, it's kind the, of funny. The ultimate you can't get a scientific paper out of this. <laughs> oh, we will definitely get a scientific paper out of it. I'm, I'm determined we will do You're it. You're going to publish it on PLOS? Yep, we'll send it to PLOS probably. Anyway, so we need to sort that out. Um, what's kind of funny about my letter is they've put it on the on the, uh, on the same page as an article about numerology. Oh, marvellous. So I'm not sure whether they did that intentionally. Possibly They're not. They're <laughs> So that's that. Um, two, two, three more quick things. So um, just a little comment on John Appleton this month. Um, his article is entitled A Few Thoughts on Dietary Supplements. And this relates to the fact that there's been an, another article published um, linking vitamins to higher death rates in women. And there certainly are some flaws with the study. I can see where he's coming from. So I'm not going to say anything about that, except to say that there have been some pretty good studies done that have shown that that you know, taking vitamins is, is at worst increases your risk of death, at best making really expensive pee. What's really interesting about his article is he makes the statement, as I see it, this study is just another example of how junk science is used to further an agenda that is more about making money than promoting health. And I just thought, pot calling kettle black. <laughs> um, and, and the standard, he doesn't declare that he sells supplements for a living. So, conflict of interest right. there, I think, John. Yes. Yeah. Um, on the next page, we have Dr. Adjet. Um, uh, my favourite man. Doc Dr. Adjet? Yeah, Dr. Um, what's really interesting we now is that those. on his... <laughs> we're doing, yeah. um, what's interesting now is on his column... So he does his thing. And I just want to correct that because you yeah. said that before. Scare quotes is when people use inverted commas inappropriately oh. to emphasize something. What we're doing is inverted commas to indicate that we're using the term ironically or inappropriately. So these are inverted commas. Yes. Doctor yes. Adjet. Yes. Not. Why don't we just call him They're Mr. You can call him Mr. Adjet. Okay. So Mr. Adjet. I've got a question. Yes. Just a complete sidebar. Um, I'm watching... Oh, uh, Embarrassing Bodies, okay. the, the oh, yes, UK yes. TV show. Yeah. And they refer to the surgeons as Mr. Mr. Tumty Tum. Yeah. Are surgeons not doctors in the UK? So, 
They're not here either. Yeah, they're so called they're Mister here. here. You call them Mister, not Do you? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. So in medicine, so you go from being a numpty, yeah. you know, you qualify, you're a doctor, and then when you become a consultant, you become Mister or. So, so they say, are doctors, yeah, so you yeah, refer yeah. to them as Mr. They are way above more qualified. Doctors. Yeah, so they're, they're above. So they become Mr. again. That is interesting. It is. I did not I know that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. You think you'd make up with something else? Yeah. You know, doctor, like... Doctor, doctor. Professor doctor. Commander or yeah. supreme, supreme ruler of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, sorry. Back to your story. Can I just tell you something? I have been to see Dr. Ajit. Have you? Sorry. Doctor. Mr. Mr. Ajit. Yeah. What was he like? Very... Very friendly, very lovely, but boy, does he want you to spend money. Yes, he does want you to spend money. Oh, this is quite a funny one. So, yeah, so this this month he's talking about arthritis and about putting warm oil on you and stuff. Okay, which, which, um... For the, for the and it, oh, it's just it's just peppered with bullshit. You know, the the the, the oil is going to soak into your body and soothe your muscles that way. And you need to have five to ten sessions for it to be any good. How much was it? Oh, when I had it, it was a long time ago. I think it was one hundred and forty dollars. I bet it's way more than that now. Um, anyway, what's kind of interesting is that um, the Ponsonby News have added a little thing at the end of his his column so they've added what they wrote last in response to my letter last month saying that he's a, has a bachelor of ayurvedic medicine and from punjab and that he's the australasia's most experienced doctor so they've added that little thing about it's not really a disclaimer is no, it but no it's not a disclaimer at all anyway um but on the same page he has an advert um where he said so want to live a better life visit our wellness centre and we will help you address the cause of your health problems not try to mask the symptoms experience drug tree solutions to all sorts of things um, and we'll can help with problems such as blah 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 and then it says Dr. Ajit Australia's most, Australasia's most experienced Ayurvedic doctor so I've complained to the um, where have I complained to the New Zealand Advertising... Standards Authority. Standards Authority, which is so easy to do. And I got a little letter saying that it does, it meets two of the criteria and so it will now be considered. Right. So um, I shall let you know. I was complaining on the fact that he was calling himself doctor. We should put together a quick little guide yeah, on how, how to. to. We could stick it up on the website. Very easy. Yeah. Can you not also complain to the medical board that he's calling himself a doctor when he shouldn't be? Uh, I could look into that. I don't, yeah, I mean, I th- he has they been come told down already. Hard, because all the ASA can do is say, you're Please stop yeah, doing that. You can't no, but they do have this to, again. He has to, yeah, but he can't, he can't put it on his advert. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. But surely the medical people can come down on it. I think they already have. Isn't it, like, illegal to call yourself when, a doctor when well, you're not a doctor and they can put you in jail? I'm not sure. Cause he, but he may have a doctor, if they call it, if he says he's a doctor of Ayurvedic medicine, they may get, it, get through it through that. Because I'm pretty sure when there was, maybe last year or something, when there were all those people being voted to health boards or something, um, he went he went up for it. And they tried to get him to stop calling himself doctor. Ah. But don't seem to have been hugely successful. Anyway, I will look into that. Um, so I have, one more, I have one more thing. Can I just say something before we move on, please? And it's about health. You're talking about um, Deborah. Talking about she's into natural health. What is it, and opposed to unnatural health? It's weird, isn't it? Laugh, guys, you know. Mm. This is the naturopath. I know. (laughs) But, you know, natural health. Anyway, what I want to talk about is the new Portect Pet Pendant. Oh, for fuck's sake. Have you heard about this? 
It's no. amazing. It effectively controls fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes. Um, effectively? Effectively, apparently. Um, I should probably complain about this one, too. Um, using, are you waiting for it? I'm edge of my seat. Holding my breath. Quantum physics and homeopathic principles. <laughs> Words fail. I just... And, so I have blogged about this. It's hilarious. So um, it uses YCT inside registered trademark technology. What does YCT stand for? Well, we don't ever say, but Stephen called it You Can't Tell. <laughs> you can't tell what's inside technology. Nice. Um, uh, and then it turns out when you actually go and have a look at the website that it actually doesn't have anything to do with fleas. That the um, So there were two sizes. Petite for cats and small dogs, and that costs $87, New Zealand dollars. And then Grande for dogs who are 10 to 50 kilos, and that's $97. And lasts up to two years. What I want to know is what happens to the quantum physics after two years? Yeah. Does it kind of run out or something? Possibly it's the homeopathy. Maybe the battery in it runs out. <laughs> the energy can't last forever, otherwise it would be a perpetual motion machine. <laughs> Unless it's utilising quantum vacuum energy. Anyway, so it actually stimulates your pet's natural processes and returns them to a harmonious state, and that's what stops them from getting fleas. Right, the harmonious state that they were in before something happened to... I don't know. But just to pull you up on that, Nathan, you cannot utilise quantum vacuum energy because that's... because. there's not enough that, of it. Well, no, there's not, uh, not enough of it, but it's not energy that can be utilised. This is the zero-point energy. Zero-point energy, yes. Yeah. It's not yeah. an energy that can be utilised. It's bullshit. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I feel put in my place. So the fleas <laughs> running around, running up to that little dog that's got the $87 one on, are going to go, oh, I oh, can't go there, and turns around and runs yeah, away. And, and jump on the humans instead. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I really like... So I went to the website... Um, and uh, it was just hilarious. It really sounds like Google Translate gone horribly wrong. It's just it's kind of throw everything in it. It's completely crazy. But it also starts talking about all these biophoton things and all the auras and stuff, which is precisely the kind of thing that I've been doing some reading on. It's been hilarious. So, is, um, I wonder if there is an equivalent um, for making medical claims for animals mm. as opposed to humans. I mean, it even finishes off, the website finishes off by saying that even negative information which causes sickness could be corrected with the vibration pulses with the help of YCT inside technology restored to a positive condition of the physical body. As a rule, every dysfunction of human control cycles well, what the fuck is this? What? can be balanced in this way, which means that every disease could be cured. I'm, I'm sorry, you've lost me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that means either. That was other than every disease. Well, that's what the whole website sounds like. Oh, well, there should gosh. be no illnesses or anything in the whole world then. Well, we're obviously harnessing the wrong quantum physics. Well, we're not in harmonious. What is it? Not in harmony with nature. That's why we need one of these. In our unnatu- unnatural state. health. Which you can only do for dogs and cats. Which I also quite like. So that, so I what if you own a ferret? What if your pet is a ferret? Does it work for ferrets or... Yeah, to try it and see. So I'd quite like to complain about this one too, because it does seem like an. You know what we could try and do is set up an actual form on the website that will submit a complaint about an ad or a, and you tick a box, you know, false medical claims or. Yeah, the ASA will love us for that. <laughs> <laughs> I get flooded uh, complaints. Okay, so if that was your last one. Oh, or? Then I'm done. Ponsby News is out. All I'm right, take a breath, have a rest. Thanks. While we go to our pre-recorded interview 
with Kylie Sturgis. And we're back again at the New Zealand Skeptics Conference, this time with Kylie Sturgis. Hello. Kylie, Hello, welcome to, to the you. cusp. Yes, yes, I'm here with my fabulous boots. We're just being admired by Susie a second I ago. Yes, yes, we'll just eBay wait while the girls Japan. talk about clothes. This is a podcast, not a vodcast. These are fantastic boots, and I'll send you a picture of them so your, your listenership sh- can I'm check sure them out they are themselves. Fantastic. I was inspired by Gold, who is the chair entity of the New Zealand Skeptics. He always has fantastic boots, so I thought if I'm coming to this convention, I'm going to make sure I wear my favourite boots. Well, mine, are, mine, are, mine are. Oh, those are gorgeous. Shiny. We are looking at a pair of fantastic, uh, sort of latex shiny ones. <sighs> they got beautiful buckles. Oh, what's the brand on them? Uh, Eject. Okay, yeah, they are fantastic kind of, yeah, sort of space-age sort of booties there. Now, I'll be seeing if I can manage to pick up a pair of those in New Zealand if I can fit them into my Would you like to make any comment on our footwear? Okay, what we have oh, here... Oh, yes, okay, best, best left alone. Okay, I'm just going to talk to the people with the fantastic boots here. Lovely to see you, Susie. How are you today? Yeah. Anyway. Skepticism and boots, do they go together? Hmm. Uh, they should. I well, there's a topic my, for you next, uh, next time you're yes. in New Zealand. Yes, absolutely. Skepticism It would be very interesting to know if the women in, in scepticism are of a certain This word you're using, I don't think it means what you think it means. What, women in scepticism? Interesting. interesting. We are absolutely interesting. In fact, there's quite a number of women in scepticism who are very much into science fiction and very much into alternative um, sort Footwear. of cultures and stuff. Yeah, and wear by boots and, and dye their hair interesting colours. Uh, you, you've got a gorgeous <laughs> shape there. And their snappy dresses. Snappy dresses, if, if we can. I mean, practicality more than... Than, than everything, but in practicality with style, as we can see with nice flat heeled boots, yes, absolutely, why not? Yeah, I did dye my hair specially for this convention, so it's got to be a bit of red streaks, but not as, as beautifully pink as, as Susie's <laughs> hair is here. So, are we going to have an interview yeah, about yeah, something? Yes, yes, what are you <laughs> going to right about, apart from my fabulous boots and Susie's fabulous boots? Yeah, well, we I wanted to say... Anyway, don't we? What's that? We normally just talk oh, shit yes, anyway. but this is... This is Clothes, which is not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's take over the rest of the podcast, Susie. So, well, yeah, please, what's um, your question? I want to say thank you for joining us at the uh, at the podcast, but to, technically you're not really joining us because you've been a part of the uh, of the cusp right from the beginning. I think I made a few suggestions about names. Marvellous suggestions and some useful tips and advice about podcasting. Actually, so can I just clarify? So I guess she's on our scientific advisory board? Oh, am I? Oh, I didn't <laughs> po- know. Podcast advisory board. And Susie advisory. probably isn't Media even aware advisory of advisory board, perhaps. Mm. Um, but mm. yes, uh, Kylie's been on our mailing list right from the beginning, and I'm sure mm. you probably still get all of our boring e- uh, emails. I get so many emails these days. Um, I do occasionally check as much as I can on the variety of Google groups there are, because there's a, the Google group for the Cusp podcast. And I've noticed you get fantastic feedback on occasion. People praising particular episodes and, and interviews and stuff like which I think is great. And that's the sort of thing people should do for inter- for podcasts and ideas for interviews, that they should be giving out feedback. So that, that's great, yeah. Now, the topic of your talk today, mm. coincidentally enough, was podcasting. Yes. So do you want to give us some, uh, some of the advice and tips that you were sharing? It was essentially a brisk rundown of some of my experiences, about maybe 100 episodes, probably a little more than 100, maybe about 50 podcasts, so short films. Um, many people, when they refer to podcasting, they might actually include podcasting, but they can be seen as two different mediums, although lumped done together in terms of online internet communication. Uh, if someone is a podcaster or a vodcaster or a vlogger, as it were, they're getting a message out there. Uh, often when I'm talking to people, 
before, I compare it to internet radio. You've got an internet radio show and you're, you're getting out information, in, in my case, and in many sceptical groups' cases, it's about scepticism and about science. So I had a look over the time that I was involved initially in podcasting, originally with the Tank podcast back in, oh, let me see, 2007, and then the Skeptic Zone in around about 2008, 9 and 10, as to, well, what the hell am I doing here? I mean, this is a particular medium. There must be research in it. There must be ways of doing it. How come the SGU are the Skeptics Guide of the Universe, which Craig is wearing a lovely T-shirt <laughs> there? Um, I think that's one of the ones that's designed by Ricky B, who is a mm. young... I got this at TAM. Yeah. Uh, Ricky B, a lady in my town, I believe, is the designer for that particular shirt. So yay for the skeptical artists out there who contribute their fantastic work to podcasts, because, you know, all helps with the branding and helping the get, getting the name out. Oh, you're wearing a badge of mine too. I'm mm? just afraid. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yay. Always be skeptic. promoting. So I Absolutely. guess the, the, this is something we haven't done. We don't have any merchandise. Get your merchandise out. That's, no. that's indeed one of the strategies that I suggested for people mm. in podcasting. See if you can start to monetize it a bit. Because people love to wear the brand as it is. It has skeptic in large letters in, in names for most of them. People say, oh, that looks like a lovely shirt that you're wearing there. So t tell me about why. It looks like a sort of a, a space agey science fiction-y sort of shirt. We have that in common. Would I like skepticism too? And it all helps, helps with the networking, promoting the show and promoting the ideas associated with shows. Received and I have to say, mm. one of the reasons we haven't um, started doing anything like that is waiting on gold to update the website a little bit. Excuses, excuses. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So, so you've essentially done some thinking about podcasting itself. I wonder if anybody's actually done any kind of research into actually who listens to podcasts. Yes, yes, there has been. In fact, uh, the first I heard about research into podcasting was done by Dr. Pamela Gay, who is the podcaster for uh, Astronomy Cast and for and is one of the people behind the 365 Days of Astronomy Cast. In a episode that was live recorded at DragonCon, which is the convention I'm heading over to in Atlanta, I think it might have been in 2008 or 2009, she talked about the research she had done in terms of university podcasts and the audience that she had. I know that uh, Steve Novella of the SGU has talked a little bit about the audience and had a look at the numbers that have increased over time, whether or not they're plateauing at about 40,000 listeners, which is incredible. And now that I believe they're syndicated on terrestrial radio, on Sirius radio, so they're reaching even more people. I think that um, you get a certain niche out there of people who are going to be pro-science, perhaps tending towards skeptics, don't realise or identify themselves as skeptically minded people. But there's always an opportunity to stretch out more, to make particular podcasts and, and vodcasts applicable to classrooms or a variety of circumstances, and, and use that hook as it is. I guess all we know really is, though, from a podcasting perspective, we have this many downloads. Mm, so yes. we don't know anything about who our listeners are, like like mm. what their demographics are, or whether they're whether they're teenagers or or twenty somethings or yeah. right. I've done surveys. Uh, there's a variety of free survey software out there, SurveyMonkey.com. You just I did it twice for the Skeptic Zone podcast in order to see who our listeners were, what they liked about the show, what sort of interviews were their favourites, the demographic suggestions that they'd make. And I'd fed that back to the group and I've done the same for the Token Skeptic podcast as well. I wonder whether the um, sort of rise of um, podcasts related to radio shows in Australia mm. um, it may lead people into finding other podcasts. So like um, Hamish and Andy and, mm. and so on do their, their podcast and you can go and download it and listen to their show, which which my wife Susan is very keen on. Mm. <laughs> um, but, but then I wonder whether like the general public who may not be sort of in a sceptical mind mm. might then say, and say, oh, what else is there around for, yeah. for, for that I might like to listen to? I remember just from my own experience talking to my students how they listen to MuggleCast and, um, oh, let me see, one or two other comedy casts out there. Um, 
but they essentially don't really go beyond that. They'll find something they're particularly passionate, like uh, you know, Harry Potter, why not, and, and they get engaged in that. Perhaps it will increase over time as they, because many of my students will go to university and they'll start learning via podcasts because it'll be available through university lectures. It's still not, um, I, th I still think that the average age of listeners out there are probably more in the late 20s, 30s, perhaps 40s, people who are on the road, people who have a bit of time that, that you know, computer scientists, for example, you're sitting there and you're waiting for your data to crunch, you may as well pop on the vodcast in the background or listen to your, your podcast while she's biding your time. Um, in Australia, and, and I'm certain in New Zealand, you have a lot of people who are on the road doing travel from here to there and whatnot, because, you know, big countries, lots of greenery to get across in order to get from A to Z. Um, that's where, where you listen to podcasts, and that's that's certainly what I do. So I think it's an older generation thing, but, you know, generations age all, all, all the time, so we might get a younger group coming. Uh, and certainly I encourage younger groups to get into podcasting. The Young Australian Skeptics with their pseudoscientist show is a fantastic show, and, yeah, hopefully they come out and continue with more episodes. There should be more in New Zealand as well. Encouraging local talent is always really important, and I hope that came across in the presentation I did by mentioning these I, I other podcasts. I think your presentation was fantastic, because actually hmm. the thing that struck me when I came to the, my first conference last year was the age <laughs> range in the New Zealand sceptics. You know, we have some young people, and we have some very old people who won't mm. mind me saying this. I mean, one of the ladies upstairs, I couldn't believe it when she said, like, next week she's 90. Yeah. It's like, wow. And so actually it was, you know, they, a lot of them don't have any idea about this kind of technology. No. It was no. fantastic for them to hear, but, I think. But, but maybe also the new, the new media is revitalising the sceptical movement. Though. Yeah, that's mm, it is. Definitely yeah. it is. Yeah, mm. that's where people are getting hooked and people are finding out more from blogs, from podcasts, from video that has been put online on YouTube. Uh, yeah, this is where it's happening. Emails are being sent out. Snopes is one of the, the best ways to get people to start thinking critically because as soon as your mum sends you the, if you pass this on, make sure that, you know, you don't drink this bit and put, take the plastic off the wrapper before you put it in the microwave, otherwise you're going to... And yet she keeps sending them. Yeah, over <laughs> and over and over again. And say, so, please forward this on. Yeah, I... Used to do that all the time. Send people links to Snopes. And like, yeah, that's the girl who ruins everyone's fun by telling <laughs> us that no, actually, Don't that young man, yeah, <laughs> that young man doesn't need to have forty-seven thousand postcards sent to him because he's already been, you know, cleared of cancer, and he just, yeah, he's now a computer programmer working in a cubicle. Yeah, yeah, and he's just, yeah, there's nothing else. He's so fed up. <laughs> he's fed up with it. So yeah, these sorts of ways of interacting with people, I think it's fantastic, and. Um, Certainly, um, I, I hoped that the presentation I did indicated, okay, this is the history, this is the meaning of the word, rather than just saying, oh, okay, I assume that you know what a blog is. No, and that, that was I, what I think yeah. was great, was that you've actually explained something that probably quite a few people in that audience were like, what the hell is this? P.Z. Myers? That sounds like a disease. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, you mentioned Dragon Con, and you've also mentioned um, sci-fi geeks and, and sort of connecting... Do you think there's a strong link somehow between the sort of the sci-fi, the nerdy sort of community and scepticism? Well, we only have to look at Carl Sagan, Asimov, uh, Martin Bridgestock, who's clearly a total geek. Um, no, uh, <laughs> Phil Plate, who, who has, um, you know, brought astronomy to hundreds of thousands of people with his bad astronomy shows and so forth. Um, yeah, you had George Rubb tour New Zealand, for example. I mean, gosh, uber geek with all these songs and so forth. It's it's rather obvious. Um, yeah, there's a certain amount of geek chic as it is with um, scepticism, but it shouldn't be seen as um, 
overly cliquey, I, I guess, or I hope not, because scepticism and certainly appreciation of the scientific method should be something for everyone. I'd hate it to be too much of a, um, a, a sort of a standard or a label that you must be geeky or you must be nerdy in order to be into scepticism, because um, even though, um, yeah, the geek chic attitude has increased over time, you know, it's okay to be into Doctor Who, for example, whereas when I was younger, it's like, no way. Um, and now I have <laughs> students running around quite proudly wearing their Harry Potter hats and their Doctor Who scarves and, and all of that. But yeah, it's, it's something that we should try to have an embracing attitude for everybody. And, and hopefully it doesn't get too much in terms of um, you have to be a science fiction fan in order to be into scepticism. Actually, I do wonder how much um, Harry Potter and Hermione Granger have sort of changed the perception um, in schools of, you know, the, of the kind of geeky kid, that it's, that it's okay to be bright and to be interested in reading. And then the fact that kids, loads of kids are reading, you know, Harry Potter and stuff. And there's this whole generation who've been brought up who perhaps don't feel as ostracized as some of the geeky kids did. Maybe I'm not saying anything. Um. <laughs> reading became cool. And yeah. I think it's fabulous. I, I know that there's people out there who knock um, Twilight, but uh, <laughs> there we go. But it does encourage, it did encourage people to read. And I've had conversations because it's one of the things I do with my podcast. I say, okay, I have a question. I'm going to find out about it. I will go to the science fiction convention, listen to a librarian up on the stage talk about how science fiction helps encourage reading and encourage literacy. And I'll put my hand up and say, okay, so what about Twilight? Is it so bad for everybody to see this? She says, well, it is encouraging reading and you can use that as an avenue to encourage other books. I remember myself, I had um, one student who refused to read. Oh, yeah, yeah. So here we are with the library, an opportunity for free reading time. Um, what, would you like a recommendation for a book? And she said, no, nah, don't read. And I said, oh, yeah, magazines? No, nah, don't read them either. So what do you like? She said, I like Lost. And I said, ooh, because I'd watched maybe two episodes, and I said, do you think that they're actually, you know, in some sort of purgatory hell, or perhaps they're time-travelling when they're on that island? Or Isn't that what it turned out else? to be? Did you just predict the end of Lost? Well, that's, that was the thing. I said, well, what's your opinion of it? She said, well, this is my theory, and she started getting into it. And I said, you know, you would really love science fiction. You should check out Taronga by Victor Keller, where it's a post-apocalyptic world, and one of the few safe places left is an island in Sydney, which happens to house Taronga Zoo. And so it's a sort of like a, a little base, as it was. And she said, oh, I've never heard of that. And I lent it to her. And a couple of years later, she was um, studying literature, I believe, <laughs> at university, <laughs> because it was just that kind she of hook. The real, yeah, the realisation that, yes, these things can be avenues to finding other forms. So if you do find yourself going, oh, my God, Bella's like the world's worst example of a female heroine. She's not even a female heroine. She's just like a female cardboard cutout that gets moved around by vampires. Oh, how awful. Um, Use it as an opportunity to introduce them to other kinds of texts. Some you know. good good vampire novels like Laurel K. Hamilton. Yeah, or um, even uh, romance books out there. I remember how Jane Austen completely changed my life and encouraged me to study literature after reading it. And it wasn't in high school that I got into Jane Austen. It was much later when I found it for myself and discovered it and enjoyed it on my own on my own merits. That yeah that I enjoyed it and so yeah I, I'm all for reading and even if it's read it and then turn around and make a parody of it why the hell not you know <laughs> and that, that allows you to appreciate it even more really quickly maybe before you go mm. you're off to Dragon Con yeah um, you got any amusing stories from people that you've met at these uh, conferences? My favourite convention um, experience was when I was at the Global Atheist Convention in 2010, and we had the opportunity to have a comedian on stage by the name of Jamie Kilstein. 
Now, since I was working with a wonderful, wonderful man from the American Atheist called Stuart Beckman, um, we swapped around who got to introduce who. Stuart um, had the morning session, and so I had the afternoon session. I got to introduce Richard Dawkins, for example, which was fantastic. And if you look on YouTube, there's a picture of me freaking out as Richard Dawkins says the line, I'm Pope Nazi. <laughs> It's my one claim to fame. I was on the same stage going, oh, man, this is going to hit the headlines tomorrow. And sure enough, bang, it did. A picture of you. No, no, no. I'm, uh, the, the only I don't think there was any media interviews about me at all. There was lots about Stuart Beckman because he has this gorgeous plume of hair and this almost bright, cheerful, he's such a lovely, lovely guy, bright, cheerful, bouncy attitude. This is almost like a fundamentalist preacher, but he's an uh, atheist. With <laughs> but yeah, we had maybe uh, 10 minutes allocated to Jamie Kilstein, who is another podcaster uh, with his own loud. show. Yeah, he's Very great. intense. <laughs> I, I hadn't known about him before, you see, so I, I knew he was from New York, I knew that he was a out there atheist, and that he obviously had a fan following, and he had an only a 10-minute spot on the stage. It's a very formal convention, I up on the stage, and it's okay, the next speaker that we're going to have is Jamie Kilstein, and the audience laughed. And as a high school teacher, I know if the audience laughs, there's something happening behind something. you. <laughs> and sure enough, it was Jamie Kilstein peering up around the curtains going, who the hell's this person introducing me? Because he's used to comedy gigs where, you know, it's like, okay, Jamie Kilstein, come on down. He wasn't used to a young lady sort of introducing him for me. Next monitor. And as soon as the audience laughed, I thought, okay, I'm taking up this guy's stage. I've got to get off stage and let him do takes up. Ladies and gentlemen, Jamie Kilstein got off the stage. He went off like a complete and total because there were rather serious lectures in the morning and so forth. He was on before Dan Barker and he was just loud and gregarious and offensive and just pow. And everyone, everyone in the audience reacted in one way or another. Either they were going, oh my God, he's horrific. Listen to the language. This is dreadful. He's talking about women's bits. Oh my God. <laughs> or they were going, yeah. Apparently AC Grayling was in the audience just going, yeah, you are, man, which was fascinating for that demographic, I've got to tell you. Um, and he started going over time a little bit, around about the point that he started launching. Am I allowed to say uh, what I'm about to say? Yeah, the knock yourself the, out. The Church of the Happy Vagina. Now, um, <clears throat> and the Ten Commandments of it. And three <laughs> things occurred to me at the same time. One, um, he's heading over time, so people around me are going to be a little bit knocked because we've got Dan Barker coming on. So I've got to be respectful and get things moving as soon as I get on the stage. So thank you very much, Jamie. Two, um, this guy is a genius. He is just doing a fantastic thing. Um, Citizen Radio is his program, so listen to it and you can hear for yourself what sort of performer he is. And so when I go onto the stage, I don't want to insult him by saying, you know, you took too long, mister, get off the stage. And thirdly, I thought, well, surprisingly enough, I'm a woman, and how on earth do you get on stage after a comedian's just done a, a, a routine about the church of the smiling vagina or what not? And that was why, at the end of his routine, um, I went up on stage. As he, as he left, I could see him shaking, because he knew that he'd done something naughty and gone a little bit overtime in terms of, okay, I was a bit naughty on the stage, and Dan Barker's coming on. Oh, my God, am I going to be in trouble for this? And so that was why I went up on stage and said, Jamie, I'm smiling all over. <laughs> <laughs> and that didn't get any in, in, in newspapers either, but it was a fantastic <laughs> convention. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the 2012 where, um, yeah, the Australian Atheist Foundation has managed to secure all four horsemen this time, where apparently, um, yeah, Dawkins enjoyed it so much last year that he said to Daniel Dennett and Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens, you know, fingers on sceptically crossed that he can make it, that they're all going to be there. And um, Ayan Hershey Ali was recently announced as, as another presenter. Uh, who else? Uh, Leslie Cannell's returning. It's just, yeah, 
going to continue to be fantastic. So hopefully we get to see a few more New Zealanders come to that because it's a awesome. global convention. Well, it's already I wonder, on my list I wonder if there'll be more protesters next time because I think that... Oh, we just had the yeah, one, the, the I was, believe. Yeah, PC so Myers, who is returning. <laughs> yeah, he went out and was like standing there expectantly as this poor guy just had the one argument which was, you know, um, yeah, about the eye was, you know, irrevertible proof. Yes, and he, like brought his, he brought his family along. Yes. yes, in the hot sun. <laughs> very, very bored family. Well, I saw the atheists were saying, I said, come on, you can, why not make this argument? It's a much better <laughs> one. And then we can challenge that. And it's like, really disappointing us. Come on, put up a fight, put up a fight. And, yeah, very sad. I, I have a quick question. Um, how do you fit it all in? Um, I don't know. Uh, time travel, probably. <laughs> I've uh, got one of those, yeah. Am yeah. I just I, I have been. I, I'm a chronic sleepwalker, and I have been known to write in my sleep, oh, which is I'm funny. I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it doesn't make much sense. I was going to say, useful yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, I ju- yeah. I've got two. As I said during the lecture today, I've got two podcast episodes that are sitting on my laptop that I've I've got to put out. And it was unfortunately I was having headaches with Libsyn before I left. I was like, come on. To load. And I'm like, that's it, I've got to pack and get out of here. So they're still sitting there, not uploaded. But this morning I put a YouTube video of what it was like looking into the red zone in Christchurch. In the end, if you're focused and you're passionate about it and you enjoy it, it doesn't seem like work. And I'm a very fortunate person in that I've enabled to have the career that I've had and the passions that I have overlap quite nicely. So I teach philosophy and ethics, um, used to teach religious education. I used to use that to introduce myself at convention and say, hi, I'm a religious education teacher who married her dungeon master. Yeah, went down well. <laughs> and so what age do you teach? Uh, high school, final year students in a course called philosophy and ethics. And uh, part of the syllabus is scientific method, scepticism, a big chunk of philosophy. Isn't that sad though, that, it, that, it, that it's being taught at final year? Yeah, yeah, um, but um, there's also opportunities, you know, to teach the scientific method through the younger years and stuff. This is just one particular course that's taught to the two final years. Um, no, no, um, but it's we're trying to certainly encourage numbers in it. It's only a very new course. It's like maybe the third or fourth year that it's been, been run. Uh, the massive changes that happened in the West Australian education system enabled us to get this course in and going. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can encourage more te- There's not many teachers with a background in philosophy who are able to teach it, but there's a lot of passionate people out there who have backgrounds in different things who are being enlisted to teach it. And I sincerely hope it gets continued. And if the changes with national curriculum in Australia continue on the way they are, hopefully we'll get a national curriculum which enables philosophy to be taught nationwide. Yeah. Again, unskeptically crossed again. <laughs> yes. what, what's the reaction like from the students? How oh, do they, they find the... They enjoy the course. Well, my students enjoy the course. Um, I do moderation with another school and they, they seem to be um, into it. Uh, you get to learn about logical fallacies. You get to look at uh, cumulative inquiry, which is a method that comes out from Montclair State, New Jersey, about uh, a Socratic dialogue between people. So you analyse how people argue, uh, writing essays on particular questions that are out there and seeing how you can formulate an argument, support your argument, make a cogent case for what exactly you're putting forward. And it's it's a real... It's a real experience. I had the opportunity to produce resources and help out with the development of the course. And only over the last two years, I got to actually go into the classroom and teach it. Um, these people keep on hiring me. You know, yeah, yeah, I, I'm still a little bit astonished by it all myself. Yeah, But yeah, and at the moment, right right now at home, my students have got maybe two more weeks of the class to go. And unfortunately, I'd already organised to come overseas during this part of the year and I said you'll be you'll be fine guys you'll have other lecturers come in and take over for me so there's a certain amount of guilt about being at these conventions and stuff like that I should be home teaching but 
yeah, it's just part of the life I lead, I guess. I'm very, very fortunate in that way. So very lucky that at a school that's supportive. Yeah. Thank you very much. For no, joining thank us. you so much. Yeah, it's great Doing to a great actually job. meet the cusper change rather than just yes. being online <laughs> online buttons and online yeah names. It's like, oh, there's people there. Yay. Mm. And thank you for your help for, mm. uh, so far. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Yeah, I will. I will indeed. I'll be blogging at podblack.com and there should be audio on goodoldtokenskeptic.org. <laughs> and to wrap up the episode, Craig, do you want to give us a quote for the day? The quote is from Richard Dawkins. Apparently he said, and he may well have been paraphrasing somebody else, but the quote goes, science is interesting. If you don't agree, you can fuck off. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've seen that video. It's quite good. So he did actually say it? He said it. It was at a conference and someone asked him a question and he said, blah, 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 blah. Science is great and here's what I say to everyone who's, who doesn't think so. The word of the day today is tarasis. This, this amused me. Tarasis, which is hysteria suffered by a man. Because, of sexist. course, hysteria is something that only women get. Oh, yes. uh, and it is, of course, the root of the word there as well, the his. I was just going to say, was it caused by a woman, was it? Yes, no doubt brought on by a woman. Um, So if you are a man... So men can't be in hysterics. They cannot be hysterical. If you are a man, you are tarasistical. Tarasistical. Stop being tarasistical, will you please? It doesn't say... (laughs) I can't conjugate that. Um, It just says tarasis. I thought you were quite good at magic. (laughs) I see what you did there, Craig. Well done. (laughs) <clears throat> and on that unnecessarily pathetic pun, <laughs> you've been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. If you'd like to send us a message or an email, check out the Contact Us form on our website, thecusp.org.nz. Please keep those letters and comments coming. Yeah, please.